The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In Galatians chapter 1, uh, Paul says that he didn't go to Jerusalem at first, but he went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Well, welcome to Exploring the Word. With those passages, Galatians 1, 17 and 18, we resume our study of the book that is often called the Gospel of God's Grace, the New Testament book of Galatians. This is Exploring the Word with Bert Harper, Reverend Bert Harper, Alex McFarland, and folks, you've plugged in at a good time. We have just started the book of Galatians, and you're you're right ready to start with us, and we invite you to get a copy of God's Word and follow along. Uh, Bert, you know, when it says that Paul went into Arabia, the deserts of Arabia, for three years and and studied and was taught of the Lord, this is a, a large peninsula. Uh, on the one side, on the east, there's the Persian Gulf, and then another gulf called the Gulf of Oman, and on the west, by the Red Sea, this is historic, historic land, and south of this is the Indian Ocean, and there were all these nomadic tribes that sometimes, like in Second uh, Chronicles 21 and Isaiah 13, it's called the East Country, but it's been said that Paul went to went to Desert University to get his Bible <laughs> college degree. And I've, I've always wondered this. Now, he goes to Jerusalem, and he's with Peter two weeks, more than two weeks. But during those times, three years in the deserts of Arabia, a lot of nomadic tribes there, I've often wondered if Paul shared the gospel, he practiced honing and, and presenting his testimony of the Damascus Road, it's, it's interesting because missionary uh, experts, missiologists, say that there are parts of the Middle East where, now even though the degree of Christians has fluctuated over the centuries, but there are parts of the Middle East that somehow seem to have known about the gospel for many, many, many centuries. And I'm just wondering if some of the seeds the Apostle Paul sowed in the deserts of Arabia for three years. Maybe some of those seeds of the gospel have existed to this day, Bert. Well, I think there's a lot of people that would agree with that because when he comes back from that three-year seminary, he uh, seems to have his theology in a right order, but not only his theology, his communication skills. Mm, and and yes. I can just tell you, you know this, and, and I know this, you can know the information. You can be a, a certified uh, person that knows all, take the test, but it's a different thing to communicate it. It's, uh, it's through abilities, yes, through spiritual gifts, yes, and through practice, yes. So I think the evidence would uh, lean toward that, Alex, not only from the missiology point of view, but also from the point of view that we see uh, Paul respond. Now, let me, let me share this. All this information that we get from verse 14 all the way to the end, even going into chapter 2, is, is telling the question that he is an apostle of Christ, not of the other apostles. Go back, if you would, and uh, in verse 12, and I think it sets it up. Now, we covered this yesterday, but I think it would help us to do that to transport us to what he's saying. He said, for I neither received it, talking about the gospel, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he mentions Jerusalem. He mentions Peter. He mentions James, the Lord's brother. He wasn't with them 15 days long enough to get this theology down. And so he's establishing again his apostleship being from God. It's not something he claimed on his own. It's not something that he earned on his own. This is something that God gave him. He, he not only called him out on the Damascus Road, but he equipped him, like you said, in Desert Seminary, 
and then he honed it in when he would go back to Damascus where it started, and then he would even go home to Tarsus to share that. So Paul, uh, in this, you add that to the book of Acts where he shared his testimony and you put these together, uh, you get a, a fuller detail of his life. Now, again, there's some disagreement on the chronological order of everything, you know, uh, that's that's debatable. I understand that, but you have a synopsis of the of the people that he was working with. Barnabas. He talks about him. Talks about Titus, Peter, and James. But more than anything, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ and those three years, Alex. Um, I, I believe that was the very foundation of his doctrinal statement and training. Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? Um, and Bert, haven't you been just struck by verse 18 where it says that he went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days? Uh, and he says, I didn't really see any of the other apostles, but James, the Lord's brother. Oh, my goodness. Now, folks, if, if you're going to get your your stamp of endorsement, uh, <laughs> the good housekeeping seal of approval uh, about his authority to minister and preach... Um, to be with the Apostle Peter, that's pretty good company. And then James, the Lord's brother. Uh, Bert, there, there was something back uh, 1977, 78, 79, and it was called the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy. Now, folks, inerrancy means without error, and we believe the Bible is without error. It is the Word of God, Amen. and it's it. God can't make a mistake. The Bible doesn't have a mistake. And and I had the privilege, I was in graduate school, and one of my professors was Dr. Norm Geisler. And he and R.C. Sproul convened the ICBI, the Council on Biblical Inerrancy, and then after they had had several meetings, they, they published a couple of books defending that the Bible, yes, indeed, is the in, infallible Word of God. Well, they signed, when they had this, this council, uh, they, there were these signatories who say, look, we affirm the Bible as the Word of God. Here's why. I mean, there was Norm Geisler. There was R.C. Sproul. There was uh, W.A. Criswell. There was James Montgomery Boyce. There was uh, Dr. J.P. Moreland. Um, people like uh, the late D. James Kennedy, Adrian Rogers, Paige Patterson. And folks, uh, Dr. Robertson McQuilkin of uh, Columbia Bible College, a very young fledgling John MacArthur, and uh, Gleason Archer. Does that name ring a bell, Bert? This is a roll call you're giving, Alex. I'm uh, telling yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, John C. Whitcomb, who had written yeah. um, Henry Morris. Mm. Now, for, and, and of course, Dr. Geisler, Dwayne Gish. Now, folks, the, the list of names, Dr. Wayne Grudem, one of the great living the theologians, they, they basically, all these people, the elite of the elite, Howard Hendricks, all these people said, we, f we sign, we affirm, you know, uh, John W. Stott, um, all these people that they said, look, we affirm the Bible is the Word of God. And that's very powerful. And frankly, we ought to revisit this. And uh, I think we ought to have another council where we say, look, we affirm uh, unequivocally that the Bible is the true, infallible, eternal Word of God. So that's powerful, right? Well, it's powerful where Paul says, look, um, you know, I'm an apostle, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And this gospel, this good news I preach to you is not of man. It's not of human origin. But uh, I, I give to you that which I received. And uh, just uh, in case you can't really take my full word for it, hey, I was two and a half weeks. I'm in Jerusalem with Peter. I'm with James, the Lord's brother. And now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Verse 20. Uh, Bert, what we're getting here is this gospel of grace, not works. And it was done by the work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. We put our faith in Christ. And by that, we are saved. In the strongest possible terms, Paul is trying to say, look, folks, this is true. Amen. This is real. <clears throat> Alex, not to try to go back, but I, I, there's just two or three things in 14 and 15 and 16 that <clears throat> that are so important. I, I just want to bring it uh, to our attention before we move on. Notice what he says. This is personal. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries of my own nation. 
being exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He is saying, I was there, but God brought me out. This revelation from of Jesus Christ of the gospel, I was founded in Judaism, but I found something better. And notice what he says. He was called through his God's grace that it pleased God, God's pleasure. Now, I just want to stay there for a moment. God's pleasure is for him to use whom he will. And, uh, you know, it says in Corinthians, he's chosen the foolish things, the weak things, to confound the world. And here he uses Paul. Now, he wasn't weak in mental acuity. I mean, he was smart. You can read it and see. But we're talking about someone steeped in Judaism beyond measure. And yet God would call him out. And then what would he do with this guy that was steeped in Judaism? Look what it said in verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, honestly, if you were to look at Peter and then look at Paul, look at Paul's training in Judaism, Peter, being a fisherman, being up from Galilee where he was interchanged with, you know, the Gentile world, they would come through there. You would think it was right the opposite. No, but Peter became the chief apostle to the Jews and Paul the chief apostle to the Gentiles. God just, the only thing I can say, I'm amazed at who he chooses, just like he said, that he was chosen and called by grace from his mother's womb. Alex, uh, God, let me just say it this way. He's an amazing God to pick and choose who he will, isn't he? Well, he really is. He, he really is. And, and let, let me read this. Um, Paul says, uh, you know, before God, these things that I write and preach, it's truth. I lie not. I'm not lying to you. Verse 21 of chapter 1. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. In other words, they they didn't recognize me, but they had heard only (laughs) that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Now, folks, imagine, um, I mean, think of the the most vehement pagans in the world. Let's say that the the highest Islamic imam in the world gets radically saved and preaches Jesus courageously throughout the world. Let's say that the titans of Hollywood and, uh, you know, all of the pagan entertainment industry, suddenly they're calling people to Jesus. I mean, that's the, the scope of this. And frankly, we need to pray because our world is at a juncture. We, we really are globally, not just the United States, not just England, though the USA and Britain, we desperately need to return to Christ. The whole wide world needs the gospel right now. So two things I'm going to throw it to you, Bert. Number one, we need to pray that some major leaders would get saved and then preach the faith they once fought against. And I want to tell you something. In verse 23, 24, it says, The one who persecuted us now preaches the gospel. It says, And they glorified God. Paul got saved because somebody prayed for him, didn't they, Bert? They did. And the the ultimate purpose is glorifying God. So Paul ends up this part of his testimony. He's going to continue saying, God gets all the glory. Is God getting glory in your life? I pray he is. We'll be back with more. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Janet Coit, Assistant Administrator for Fisheries at the NOAA. Her office is responsible for the stewardship of the nation's ocean resources and their habitat. Genesis 1.20 reminds us that God created the sea and all creatures above and below. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Janet Coit as she leads the NOAA fisheries. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. 
and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Is technology a tool or a trap? Well-meaning Christians weigh in on both sides of this debate, but Dr. Tony Evans says the answer is, it depends. We'll find out why today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Technology is born out of God's created purpose for mankind. So technology is legitimate. It is legitimate as long as it stays attached to God. The moment what we create gets disconnected from God or seeks to trump God, it now becomes an idol. And once it becomes an idol, it now becomes the enemy of God. Technology, in whatever form it takes, was always designed to be a tool that serves, not a master that dictates. So the moment technology becomes your master, you got too many bosses in the house. When the television and the 800 channels say, you better not turn me off. When the phone says, you better not put me down. When the texting says, you better not stop. When the computer says, you better look at this. And it becomes your master. It has now become your idol. And once it becomes your idol, it has become God's enemy. Learn how to spot and avoid the little G gods that Satan tries to pass off as the real thing. Check out Tony's CD series, American Idols, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex with you, and uh, we're in Galatians chapter 2. Again, what a book Galatians is. I, <laughs> this is the truth. Every time I go over a book again, I like it more than I did from the last time. Amen. Uh, when I say like it, it doesn't mean, oh, it's good, but it's just so rich. Now, Alex, I want to do something before we get out of chapter 1. Uh, you know, Paul would go on three missionary journeys purposely, and then okay. God would get him to Rome through a ship, but it even, as Luke tells that in Acts, it navigates the locations where that ship would go and even where it would crash and then how they would get to an island and catch another ship and get to Italy and then go on to Rome. Now, notice what Paul does here. He starts out, doesn't mention the Damascus Road experience, but he does say, again, verse 17, you've already gone over it, uh, nor did I go, he did not go up to Jerusalem. So he's going to tell them where he went. Arabia to Damascus to Jerusalem. From there, he goes to Syria and Cilicia. And and so all these places is, okay, you were talking about it being in Arabia, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. This is a prerequisite of his missionary trips, is what I'm saying. You, you catch what I'm saying? He's going from place so. to place, and he is again honing in this uh, this ministry that God is called into. And I guarantee you, nothing is wasted in each one of these places. Because when he goes to talk to Peter and James, he is going to have to have his doctrinal statements straight up. Uh, they're going to be listening to what he has to say. Now, again, they didn't confer him the calling. He already had the calling. But they did agree. There was an agreement. Yes, this man. And so here he is going through these different locations, honing in his ability to communicate the gospel. Again, notice, to different kinds of people different places, uh, different responses that they would get. And then when he would start on his missionary journeys from Antioch, 
years later, he's already had some of this experience, and I believe he already knows kind of how to handle a mission trip, you know? And uh, so God, again, he does all things well, and while he's getting Paul, using Paul here, he's also getting Paul, he'll, he'll Saul later, he'll, he's getting him ready for what he is called the great missionary movement westward, all the way to Rome, even to Spain. That is the Apostle Paul, the sent one with a commission and a mission. That's Paul, isn't it? It is. It's it's amazing. Uh, and you know what? He goes on, and uh, you, you're right. All of this was, you know, by God's leading and by God's design. And a lot of time goes on. You know, he's been... You know, Paul's been converted at least uh, three years or a little bit more than that. But by chapter two, he says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, took Titus with me and went up by revelation. This is Galatians 2, 2. In other words, by the leading of the Lord and communicated unto them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them, which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Okay, so Paul, as I understand it, he's evangelizing in Jerusalem, sharing the gospel, but he's being very discreet. And let me tell you, Paul was uh, a very wise person, very wise person. Um, And he talks about the fact that uh, Titus, who was with me being a Gentile, he wasn't compelled to be circumcised in order to get saved. And there were false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out or to to listen to and take note of our liberty in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, let me just say this, folks. Um, You can't improve on perfection. Some of you, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember about 10 years ago, there was a lady named uh, uh, Celicia Gomez, and there was a, a 200-year-old painting of Jesus that was um, at a church somewhere in Spain, and she damaged it trying to clean it. So she tried to take some paint and touch it up, and it became this horribly disfigured painting of, of Jesus. I, Bert, do you remember this story? And in fact, the, the quote, fixed, touched-up painting was so terrible it actually became kind of a, a caricature on the internet. But in, in other words, here's this 200-year-old painting of Christ that got just tragically damaged by somebody trying to improve it. Do you remember that story? I've heard, yes, not as detailed as you, but I remember that, Alex. And, and yeah. what you do when you try to touch up a masterpiece, you don't touch it up, you mess it up. You know? Exactly. You cannot improve on something that's already perfect. And like this gospel, by adding works, not only do works not get you saved, but you you actually distort the true message which would get you saved. And so Paul talks about, in verse 4, the bondage that comes. Um, listen, add it. You can't take away from the gospel. You can't add to the gospel. It's that the Son of God gave his life on the cross, paid for our sins. We put our faith in Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing. Hey, quote, improving on the gospel, it it really dismantled the gospel then, and it damages it now, doesn't it? It it does. Now, again, notice how he went up, Alex, in verse 2. He went up by revelation. In other words, you know, God is revealing. I heard that word revelation before in chapter 1. Notice what it was. It was in verse 12, through the revelation of Jesus Christ, he was taught, and now through the revelation of Christ, he is led. Hey, you you see that? Wow. he He is taught by him, and he is led by him. Now, notice which comes first. The, the teaching, the, the getting it down in your heart and knowing it for sure, and then God would lead him. Now, I believe he led him through that geographical maze that I went through earlier, but here it says, I went up by revelation. Another word that I want to key on, 
is in verse 4, it says, who came in by stealth to spout our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Now, that is the, not the last time you'll hear that word used in the book of Galatians. I want to turn over real quickly. We're not going there to study, but we will get there because chapter 5, verse 1, is one of the greatest declarations of our faith in, in all the Bible. Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the what? Liberty. Liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What is happening in chapter 2, as you have just so ably shared what was going on with these false brethren, is to uh, to entangle them in the mess. Uh, it entangles. When you're entangled, it inhibits your progress. It, it slows you down. And so here... Paul, Paul is saying, by the revelation of Jesus Christ, I receive the message. By the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm carrying the message to the places, and it is a message of what? Liberty. Alex, why, I mean, why would they want to go back, you know? Exactly, exactly. I mean, listen, if you're set free in Jesus and he paid it all, and uh, listen, I simply receive it, I rest in it, then for goodness sakes, why would you want to go back to dead ritualistic religion? You know, I, I really don't know. And I, I love how um, I, I've got four Bibles on the table right now, but King James, <laughs> verse 5 of chapter 2, Paul says, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He, Paul is, is kind of saying here, um, and we, we put up with this not for one minute. Amen. It, some things, and I, hey, Andy Griffith Show, here we are. Some things need to be nipped in the bud. And, uh, <laughs> yes, right? yes. And, and he, oh, Devin, he looked up at me and rolled his eyes on that so one. If, if you can, in your mind, folks, remember Don Knotts saying that. That's a classic line, nip it in the bud. And here, whom I I wouldn't give them an I wouldn't give them an hour, you know. Yes. You can. I I think it's gracious for you to hear someone start, but it's not necessarily gracious to let them finish when wow. it is completely detrimental and wrong. Alex, what do you do with cancer? You try to, the quicker you stop it, the greater chances you have of overcoming. This is true yes. with false teaching as well. The quicker you find, that's what's happening with the woke movement here yeah. in the church in the United States, that it started, and, and that's why AFR, uh, in our programming, yes, and in our news, yes, on the Bible study programs, yes, we're saying this this false teaching of wokeness, of saying, oh, God, God accepts everybody the way they are, uh, they were born that way and everything. No, we need to not submit to that even for an hour. They head it and we do it how? Through the Word of God. Hey, do you know what? Um, an hour ago, it was my privilege to be uh, sitting in on airing the Addisons, folks. And um, by the way, in verse, I want to comment on Galatians 2.6 here in just a second, but um, we had a medical doctor call in, and we were talking about transgenderism, and uh, this— caller medical professional and he he said behind closed doors he said we doctors we call it politically protected nonsense <laughs> that's it and uh, it, it is hey by the way big shout out for the american family association uh folks if you are reading the national news today and this was reported by a number of wire services but i, I saw it first of all on foxnews.com ed vitagliano who is a beloved voice, he is quoted in the national media this morning because of um, one of the computer companies put out this uh, emoji, this little character of a pregnant man. So now there's a pregnant man emoji, and it says the American Family Association, founded in 1977, has been at the forefront of the culture wars, defending family and freedom. And um, so there was, in my opinion, positive acknowledgement of AFA and quoting of Ed Vitagliano in the news today. So praise God. It's your 
folks, it's your prayers and support that Amen. enables us to be a voice. Let me add to that. And he talked about the real cure is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they didn't edit that out. And hey, uh, well, I, Amen. I, I was telling Ed, uh, he and I were talking about it. And he said, some Christian must have gotten that first before the political C <laughs> group got a hold of it. Or it yes. would, that wouldn't have been in there. Because the here we have it. Paul is presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the answer for man's need, the greatest exactly. need. And when you get there, you say, oh, it doesn't meet all of our needs. I want to tell you, one of the greatest things happen when Jesus Christ comes in your life, there's a spirit of kindness. Now, we hear it's not to be nice because nice has gotten to be, well, you, you got to go along with everybody. No, but you're kind to them and you tell them the truth. And uh, you do that. Yes, you do. And then you share. Look what happened in the early church. There was people there that were not making it financially. What did happen? Man, Barnabas had money, and he gave it to the apostles to help those people. The Corinthian church was taking up offerings that Paul was going to take so he could take it back to Jerusalem to help the saints there that were in poverty. I, yes, I would tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ meets the need of mankind. Amen. Amen. And, you know, Bert, that's such a great statement. Folks, I'm going to comment on Galatians 2, 6, and 9. I've got a message I preach. I've done this message with a lot of uh, groups of teenagers, and I, I say, you know, um, five or six things that cannot negate the truth of the gospel. And one of the things I say is that the, the prestige of the critic— does not eliminate the reality of the gospel. And I'll, I'll do it this way. I'll say, uh, kids will write to me and they'll say, but Alex, my professor who has a PhD, says <laughs> thus and such. You know, or, you know, my, my friend or my, you know, guru or whomever. All right, listen, the gospel is still true regardless of the prestige of the critic denying it. Now, Paul says in verse 6, but these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, I want to read a more modern translation. Like um, the, um, well, the, the NIV uh, talks about the fact that those that seem to be something, in other words, they, they were like... Uh, high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me, for God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Now, I can just see it. There, there were the big religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the, um, the Sadducees, as we might say, the big muckety-mucks, <laughs> and they might have said, listen, we got to straighten you out. And Paul goes on, and in verse 9, he, he talks about, well, well, first of all, let me just say this that um, while Peter was called to preach to the Jews, and Paul was largely preached to the Gentiles, he, the gospel of the uncircumcision, those were to non-Jews, and the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Verse 7, is the same gospel, faith in the, the resurrection of Jesus, but Peter largely was called to preach to the Jewish people, Paul, although he would preach to Jew and Gentile. Bert, I think it's just the beautiful irony of God. Here's uneducated Peter, but mightily preaching this liberty and faith to the Jewish leaders. But Paul says, look, the critics, their prestige, it doesn't sway me. I'm going to stand on truth. Amen. Hey, there's no bigger fool as an educated fool. And I've heard that. I know that's sarcastic. Hey, we're going to take phone calls. Triple eight. 589-8840. In the mid-1980s, Jerry Cox was a public school history teacher in Arkansas with no political aspirations. That changed when he realized those who held a Christian worldview had no representation in the Arkansas State Capitol. Jerry founded Arkansas Family Council, and for more than three decades, AFC has been the voice of biblical values in Arkansas. More Than Words is an inspirational story, one you should read and encourage others to read as well. Visit afa.net slash the stand. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? 
Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Millions of persecuted believers, they're suffering, and they can use your prayers and financial support right now. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International in the country of Zambia, the place where the famous missionary David Livingstone carried out years of ministry. Shadrach is an elder in Ashanti Church. He had word that there was an attack coming one Sunday, and sure enough, 20 radicals showed up in attempt to kill all the Christians gathered for worship in that service, about 200 in number. Now, in self-defense, Shadrach had a handgun. He used it on a man named Ishmael, didn't kill him, but he injured him, but nursed him back to health. He was a livestock farmer, so he took care of the man's livestock. The daughter of that man could not read, could not write, so Shadrach would teach her to read and write using a Bible League program. And I can tell you, in grateful response, the entire family and 80 former radicals have come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. They need Bibles at $5 a Bible. Would you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The city lies four square, its length, width, and height all equal, 1,380 miles for each dimension. The city's wall is 216 feet high, 12 gates around the city, with each gate made of a single pearl. Streets of gold so pure, they're translucent. No need for a sun, God's glory lights the city. No tears, no pain. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Colossians 1.13 American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. There is Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bird here. The number, we would love your calls and your Bible questions. It's 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Hey, Bird, I do want to give a little shout-out about our camp coming up for teenagers. This is for middle school and high schoolers. It's July 17th through 22nd, and there is still time to register. And we have scholarships, and uh, the camp is going to be amazing. It's uh, worldview, uh, building your biblical worldview. We're going to do all the fun camp stuff, but I'll be there for five days. Will and Miki Addison, uh, youth culture expert Andy Lawrenson. It's going to be really fun. It's just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, let me encourage you folks. We've been doing camps for 24 years. Uh, We know how to have a good time and hike and horseback ride. We'll do all that. But we're going to teach your teenagers how to stand strong for Jesus. I don't want your kids to fall away from the faith uh, once they graduate high school. So check out our camp. And uh, my website is alexmcfarland.com, July 17th through 22nd. We have scholarships. And uh, no matter where you are, you've got time to register. Bert, we got about space for maybe two dozen more teenagers and we're going to drill down deeply and get strong in defending the Christian faith. Alex, that's so exciting. And what an opportunity for your child, for your youth group. They need to be equipped. Matter of fact, over in the book of Ephesians, you'll see that really God called out the leadership in the church to equip the saints. And uh, that's what this is all about. Uh, listen, you don't want to have them going and then going to uh, to one of these colleges and hearing this Ph.D., as you, we talked about earlier, uh, listen, and you can be smarter. That's what David said. He has made me uh, wiser 
than all of my teachers and uh, get into the word. Go to these camps and let God. Now, it doesn't make you proud. It keeps you humble because the more you really know about God doesn't work for pride. It should work for humility. And Mm. uh, if you receive it right in the spirit of the Holy Spirit. So get your kids there. Let them learn and be equipped. Amen, Alex. Thank you, brother. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to go up to Pennsylvania, and we're going to talk to Richard in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm just questioning uh, the verses that you went over today about Paul. It says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. How is that reconciled with Acts chapter 9, chapter nine verse 19b, where it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. I would have to assume that's what he just described in the book of Galatians. But then the beginning of verse 20, it says, And immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. In what context would you place that immediately? Okay, Richard, mm-hmm. if you remember, uh, I'm I, I'm saying this because some these uh, guidelines in chronological order is difficult to do it. It's not just your difficulty to do it. I read several several commentaries of great great theologians and. Uh, put a chronological order in all of that, Alex, uh, they found it very difficult and hard. Again, to say definitely and hard, hard-nosed about the time frame and the timeline um, is, is difficult to put it in, not only just in Acts, but also when he was before Agrippa and all the others. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and you know what? The word there that's translated immediately um, it's really the word for it directly. Now, we think of it in terms of time, and it might have been um, the word directly, like uh, appropriately. And it's almost like saying uh, in verse uh, 20 of Acts 9, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, in Galatians 1, 21 through 24, afterwards... Syria, Cilicia, and the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. And by the way, these are house churches for sure. And some of the Christians probably still were in and around the synagogues, even though they were followers. Churches there in verse 22 of Galatians 1 doesn't necessarily mean church buildings like we think. It's groupings of believers. But in a way, the word in Acts 9.20 translated straightway, it, it, the word there could really mean, of course, he preached. So we think, well, goodness, 14 years, because clearly in Galatians 2, he's talking to Jews about Jesus. Yeah. 14 years doesn't seem like straight way, but it's almost like the sense of, and you know, of course, he preached Christ in the synagogues. So it could mean time, but it could also mean appropriateness, that holding nothing back. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Richard, let me say this again. That shows you what I was trying to get across uh, in all of his geographical, uh, you know, locations in the book of Galatians, it, that he was developing his, uh, what he would do on his three missionary journeys. And guess what he would do on his missionary journeys? Go into the synagogues. That was his plan. And so all I, I, I don't think you can say exactly this happened here, this happened here, this happened here. But, um, you know, we know it did happen. And yes, immediately or straightforward helps us to understand that better. Thank you, Richard. Yes. Uh, well, Lamerl in Texas. Uh, do I have your name accurate there? Lamerl, is that right? Yes. Yes, that's right. Thank you what so much. What a pretty much. name. Well, thank you for holding. Thank you. Um. I appreciate the wisdom that you have years of study that brings you to the place where you can help me and everybody else. And I just appreciate your show so much. Bless Um, you. Thank you. Thank you. My question is 
well, I have a good news Bible, and, and Jesus' words are read in red print. And he says, if you pray to the Father in my name, he will do it for you, whatever you ask him. And I hear people praying to the Father, and they say, in his name, but they don't say, in Jesus' name. I know that Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, in my name, but why why would a person not use the name of Jesus when they're praying to the Father? Well, Merle, thank you for that. I listen. Uh, he's the intercessor, okay? This is neat. And I, again, I want to say this. I don't know why they, uh, you know, claim the name of Jesus. I remember back in the 60s, uh, a lot of the politicians would talk about God and talk about it, and it, it, was, it would roll off roll off of their tongues. and uh, But what would happen uh, when you named the name of Jesus, it would get uh, very alert for folks. Oh, no. And I think even in the church, Alex, that has happened that, you know, uh, we Jesus, at the name of Jesus, uh, there's strength in that. And you can say God, and it doesn't seem to be as, I, I want to use the word offensive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Don't be ashamed to say the name of Jesus, folks. Don't be ashamed. Because, you know, John 15, 16, well, let me encourage you to read John 15 and 16, but especially in chapter 15, read 7, 8, and read verse 16. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. And it goes on and it says, uh, whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So um, if we're going to want the privilege of receiving, I think we have to take up the obligation and obedience to acknowledging him. Am I right, Bert? You are right. And let me just say, we had a crash of our computers, and we had all these people lined up, and we're sorry that happened. But we do have somebody ready to go right now, don't we, Alex? Uh, how about Carol from Louisiana? Carol, are you there? I'm here. Praise um, the belong, Lord. I belong to a Torah club where we study the Jewish roots of Jesus. However, they present the prospect of animal sacrifice during the Messianic age, to which I would ask why, if Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Okay, we've had this question before, Alex, years ago, and uh, I, I'm one of those that I have a hard time believing it too, Carol. Why? Alex, you brought up a possibility of a different thing. Uh, do you remember uh, us answering that years ago? Yeah, I, I know. We were talking about, like, during, during the millennium, um, for a little while, will animal sacrifices, you know, kind of be resumed? Because this seems to be indicated i mean it mentions a little bit in um revelation 20 some of the sacrifices that we read about back in leviticus now this is a little bit speculative but you know here's the thing people are going to have to believe in jesus there will be some people presumably at the end of the tribulation the battle of armageddon the beginning of the thousand year millennium there will be some people that, that enter into the millennium, and they need to get saved. And the only thing I can think of is that the institution of the, sacri of the animal sacrifices, it's not going to be because we go backward. No, but it will be commemorative to remind us of Christ's sacrifice. And let, let me just say, the people during the millennium will have the highest degree of revelation ever. Everything from the scripture to Christ himself physically present to a reenactment of the tabernacle years pointing to the vicarious sacrifice of Jesus and yet still some will choose to not believe isn't that something it is I, I just want to go on I'm not so sure I, you Alex you and I we've been amazed and us not having to to switch our opinions or our thoughts or anything how much God's brought us together I I'm wondering if that's true, but I do want to say this. This is one of those things that if you don't think so or you think so, it makes no difference. You know, yes. uh, it has nothing to do. But, Carol, I've, 
we've had that question before, and Alex gave that same thought. And uh, I'm of the opinion, why in the world would you do it? I, that's what the Lord's Supper was for, is to remember the Lord's death or his sacrifice. So I'm not so sure. Just let me say that. Exactly. And, Carol, and thank you. Yeah. Amen. Good question. Stephen in Alabama, welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Hey, yes, um, I'm happy to be speaking with you today, and I just have a question about a Bible. I, I listen to your show and, and enjoy your ministry and uh, would like your opinion on a book that I've, someone had told me about, The Evidence Study Bible by Ray Comfort. I don't know anything about him <laughs> or that Bible. So, Okay, let me speak to Ray Comfort. He is a giant uh, in witnessing and evangelism, I'm telling you. And uh, I haven't found anything in Ray Comfort's theology that I've heard that I would uh, question Alex very much. Have you gotten to uh, look at his the Evidence Study Bible yourself? Yeah, and uh, it's been our privilege. When Bert and I go to, there's a convention we go to every year called NRB, and we've interviewed Ray Comfort we have. Uh, in yes. times past. Um, I've always loved Ray Comfort because in Soul Winning, he uses a lot of apologetics, which is like the evidence for Christianity. So, um, you know, I, I've I've kind of read his stuff for about twenty years, and I've I've never found anything but good in Ray Comfort and that Evidence Study Bible. As as far as I know, I give it a big thumbs up, Bert. I would as I have glanced at it. I haven't looked at it in detail, but I have faith, a lot of confidence. I'll put it that way in Ray Comfort. So, Stephen, I think you're in good shape. Amen. I think you're in in on good ground there. Well, uh, Brittany, Brittany in Texas, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying that I'm blessed every day to spend 30 minutes from Amarillo driving back to my house in Quad, and uh, I get to hear y'all every day, and you're a huge encouragement to my study in God's Word. Um, and I've had many of my answers uh, answered already on here just by listening daily uh, to y'all. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, well, God bless uh, you. My question and my comment is around God's Word um, as far as Him calling us to be in the world and not of it. Um, I'm a young mother. Uh, me and my husband have been married for 15 years, and uh, even conservative part of the nation, and um, we're very blessed to be around a bunch of Bible-believing, um, you know, seekers of truth. Um, we just, we're concerned because we know by nature we're not isolationists as Christians, like we want to be out in the world, and I want to comment towards Ray Comfort. He, everything he touches is just evangelistically superb, and amen. I just love him. Amen. Yes, and uh, amen, he's at the amen. top of the line. It, Yes. And, um, but, you know, it does frighten uh, my husband, Scott, and I, is that, you know, we were tempted to become isolationists to a point because even being in this part of the country, um, you know, the LBGT thing and every movie and every aspect and, and the literature and everything, um, you know, it, it is so um, demanding that. Um, it, it tempts the Christian or the person that wants to walk the narrow path to, you know, lead their kids not to be a part of certain things. Thank you, Brittany. Let me just make one comment. I hope you can hear. We, we just got a few seconds left. I, I remember going over this with your children. You want to. Uh, you can't completely isolate them, but you sure try to insulate them. Insulate them with the Word of God. Alex, go ahead. Well, God bless you for listening. And you know what? Um, whether we have Christians around us to encourage us, we build ourselves up on the, on the Bible says that most holy faith. And you know what, folks? That's why we have to prepare to stand strong by feeding our soul in Jesus every single day. Brittany, thank you. God bless you, and God increase your tribe. Begin godly parents. That's what we're praying for. Join us tomorrow with more of the book of Galatians on Exploring the Word. Thank you.